My name is Alan, and uh, again, we are thrilled that you're here. If you weren't with us uh, in 2010, we went through what we call the whole shebang. It's the overall grand epic story of God. And we have decided to go through it again here in 2011. And what we're doing is we're looking at the main characters in the story. We're looking at the overall whole shebang story, 2011, the whole year we're going after the story again, looking at the same seven sections and looking at the main characters. And the character that we're looking at this morning is a guy named Elijah. Now, I spent most of my life actually having no clue who Elijah was. Uh, I don't know about any of you, but, but when I hear the name Elijah, I didn't instantly go to a particular story. I mean, I'd heard uh, references to Elijah in songs. I knew some very spiritual people who even named their children Elijah because they must have understood something. I heard jokes. People would tell jokes about Elijah. and Elijah said, well, not me. <laughs> and I would laugh with everybody else, pretending I understood, but I don't know who Elijah is. And so I wanted to know who Elijah was because I felt ignorant. And so I would go to the Bible and say, well, the main characters, they're going to have a book named after them. So I looked in the table of contents. There is no book named Elijah. So how am I going to figure that one out? And, uh, and uh, so there's just this struggle. There's no big blockbuster movie about Elijah. And so how are we supposed to know who Elijah is or what his overall story is? Well, that's the character we're looking at today, and, and his is the story that we're looking at. And the, the character issue, or the practical issue that we're going to touch on here as we jump into the, these uh, three chapters is, what are we supposed to do when life sucks? Okay, pardon my French, mais c'est vrai, il y a les temps quand la vie, c'est sous. It, it doesn't sound quite as vulgar in actual French, but... But, okay, many of us here, we might say, I am a follower of Christ. I am a Christian. I understand the grace thing. I'm doing what I can in terms of building my character, in terms of going after the sanawats, which is what we call here our grid for discipleship. I'm doing... Hello. But what about those times when I just don't feel like it at all? What about those times where I am just not tracking, I'm not motivated, I'm not inspired in terms of spiritual development? What about those days, weeks, perhaps even months, where we do not even want to get out of bed? I'm a Christian, I understand this stuff, but this is how I feel today. Every one of us in this room can relate to that feeling at some point, and, and some of us here this morning are experiencing that in a powerful way, and you made a great effort to make it here this morning. So that's the question that we are going to take to God here this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, you so beautifully know every story, every heart here in this room, and you know, you already know how you are going to use the amazing story of Elijah to touch hearts here in this place. So, Father, I just pray that I don't get in the way of what you want to do. Come and have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you brought your Bibles, which once again I encourage you to, that we look at our Bibles together on Sunday mornings. Um, but if you brought them, I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings. Uh, if you, uh, you want to go to about a quarter of the way into, the, into your Bible, you'll probably stumble somewhere close to 1 Kings. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, some of the 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 monarchy of Israel, and we were looking in First and Second Samuel. Well, First Kings follows Second Samuel. 
And that's where we're spending our time today. What we're doing today is we're transitioning from the first section in the whole shebang. The first section was entitled The Exodus. And that was the incredible rise in the nation of, of Israel as it, as it grew and as, as it developed. And then now we're entering into the second section entitled The Exile. And The Exile is the story of the tragic decline of the nation of Israel. And it gets started right after Solomon's. A couple weeks ago, we looked at King Solomon. And after he died, there was a discrepancy in terms of who would be his successor. And so the nation of Israel divided up into the north and the south. Israel became the north and Judah became the south. And if you were part of our journey last year when we talked about this section, we highlighted the fact that it is internal division that so often starts us down the road of declining. That if it is in your, um, if it's in your marriage or at work, that your kids, your parents, your spouse, your boss is not your enemy. And once we start to see that person as our enemy, that becomes this internal division that leads to decline. And this is what happens with the nation of Israel. They start to have some some bad kings, and the kings actually get worse and worse and worse, especially in the north. And after a few kings, it gets to the point where there's a king named Ahab, and that's the story we're jumping into at this point. The king of the north is a guy named Ahab, and he marries a priestess of the pagan god Baal, or Baal, and her name is Jezebel. Now, whenever you hear the name Jezebel, you should have in the back of your mind, do-do-do-do-do. Uh, whenever you hear the name Jezebel, there's a reason that in our kindergarten classes, there aren't a lot of five-year-old girls running around with the name Jezebel. There's a reason for that. It'd be like some of you courageously deciding to name your son Satan. Uh, it would be similar to that. So that there are very few marriages where we get together and, you know, I, Satan, take you, Jezebel. To, that's just not a common thing. Jezebel was, was hell-bent on on removing, eliminating the God of the Israelites. And what she uh, planned to do through that was eliminating the prophets, eliminating the priests. And Elijah, the character we're looking at today, was a prophet. And he came down to being the very last prophet. Jezebel had been doing her work. And so uh, here's Elijah hiding from Jezebel. And he interacts with a widow. 1 Kings chapter 17. Beginning in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. This is Elijah. When he came to the town gate, a woman was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home. And make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. She's saying, I'm sorry, um, Mr. Big Shot Prophet, but I'm not going to be able to accommodate your request because all I can do right now is go home and starve to death with my son. She's saying, I I would love to be able to accommodate your request. I'd love to be able to concentrate on spiritual development, to really focus on making good decisions. I'd love to be able to do that right now. I'd love to be able to do this. So now it's, wow, that sounds interesting. But right now, I don't have anything to eat. 
I can't concentrate on any of that stuff because I can't even do the basics of life. I can't even eat. If you were here with us last week, we talked about our engaging with an organization called Feed My Starving Children. And what we're doing on April 9th is we are going to, for a one eight-hour period, we are going to package over 100,000 meals for um, starving children uh, who are in, very much in need around the world. And um, w- what happened was, before the celebrations even started, before I even made any announcements, of the 480 slots that were available for Feed My Starving Children, 150 were already taken up from leadership and those who were a part of, of the internal thing. There's a benefit to being in leadership here, right? Uh, so 150 were already taken up. And so I said to the first, or you guys, the first celebration, uh, you, you got to jump in. And then before the second celebration started, there were 280 slots taken care of. Before I left church last Sunday, before I got in my car, all 480 were zapped up. And there are about 100 people on a waiting list who want to be a part of it, who, who, are, who have missed out, who didn't get a chance to step in on that. Let me just tell you, I mean, I totally connect with the clap. You guys are awesome. I love being a part of a church that says, that makes sense to me. I will jump in. I will respond. I think it's fabulous. We were talking about how we can do another one and when this might work. And um, the, the cost to do 100,000 meals is $25,000, 25 cents per meal. And so we're not sure when we'll be able to do that again. But if, if it is in your heart to uh, financially uh, support that so that we would be able to do that in the future, you can go ahead and do that. You can invite your kids to say, this one quarter, this can give a meal to a, to a child in a, in a starving country. You can participate in that. Just designate in a check or whatever. Let us know. Feed my starving children, and we will see when we get to another 25000 and we'll do it again. Okay, just kind of an FYI. Um, but one of the th- reasons that I think it resonated with so many of our hearts, this, this, the video and this whole thing, and there was such a quick response to it, because we all get... The fact that people need to eat. I mean, it's not reasonable for us to go to another country and say, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, when they are in so much pain in their, the malnutrition and their stomachs are bloating. They can't concentrate on that, on that spiritual need when that physical need is not being addressed. So we get that. There is, a, there is a, a, an understanding, a connection that, that people need to eat and somebody's got to feed them. And so let me continue this story. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and for your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. In other words, until you'll be able to to take care of yourself. And that's exactly what happens in this amazing story, is that the, the flour does not run out and the oil does not run dry, and she continues to be able to provide for herself and for her son. The Lord provides. This is a, this is a miracle story, just a small little beautiful miracle story that we experience in Scripture. And I just want to make a mention about, about miracles, because we're going to see here in chapter 18 another incredible miracle that... Our God is capable of doing amazing miracles, but he's the one who decides when they happen and when they don't. That there are seasons in the whole shebang story when God chooses to do miracles and seasons where he chooses not to. For whatever reason, he's God, he's allowed to do that. So there are miracles, um, there are miracles early on in God's, in God's uh, design and creation, 
And then God's kind of quiet in terms of miracles for a while. And then, uh, and then uh, Elijah uh, jumps in, and then there are some miracles that we experience in this part of the story. And then for hundreds of years, God is quiet in terms of miracles again. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus performs miracles again. And so there are these seasons where God chooses to do miracles. I think we are wise to not evaluate our faith or God's faithfulness based on the supernatural activities that we get to be a part of. Just to be careful with that. It's God who decides whether there's a miracle that's going to happen in in the body of someone you care about. That's, that's not the result of our faith. Nonetheless, there is a miracle that Elijah gets to be a part of in the next chapter, in chapter 18. Uh, what he does is he ends up coming out of hiding, and he goes to King Ahab, and he challenges him. And this isn't a, this isn't a uh, 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 he challenges him to a battle, but it's not a, a man-to-man, mano-a-mano battle. It's a, it's a gado-a-gado uh, battle that he's saying here. He's saying, I want my God to challenge your Baal, your God. He says, he says gather the 450 prophets of Baal that you have with you, and you, um, it'll be your 450 prophets and your God versus me and my God. And here's what he says here in uh, chapter 18, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? Is the Lord, uh, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I love Elijah's confidence here. He said, this isn't really a battle for victory. Who's going to win this victory? This is a search for truth. So I'm going to join with you guys on the search for truth. Will the real God step forward? And what happens is he says, let's go up on a mountain and we will create two altars. We will have two bulls, slaughter two bulls and put them on two different altars with wood around them. And then you will have the opportunity to call upon your God, Baal, and to see if your God will bring fire upon that altar and burn up that offering. And then I will have the opportunity to do the same. And so the story continues, uh, verse 26, still in chapter 18. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, so hours into it, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god, little g-god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. See, I love that. It gives a sarcastic person hope when you read that kind of thing in there. There's another version that's, that, that says that maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe your God is busy. He needs to get his business done, and then he can respond to you. I could just see him kind of walking around and kind of looking up at everybody, kind of poking through the crowds, and how are things going? Because he knows that Baal is not the one true real God. And so this is an entire day from the morning to noon into the evening. It makes it very clear. And nothing happens. And I know some of you know this story. It's a great story. Elijah then says, my turn. And he says, okay, let's go over to my altar. And just so that you know that there isn't some little sneaky little spark that I set uh, prior to, just so that there's no question in terms of 
the power of my God. He says, let's go ahead and take a large jug of water and pour it over the altar. Wet the wood, get the whole thing absolutely drenched. It actually created a trench around the outside of the altar and drench the entire thing. Let's take another jar and pour it over and drench it again. Let's take a third jar and douse it completely with water. And then Elijah stepped back. He said, I think you're going to want to back up a little bit, people. And he just prays a simple prayer. He says, God, let it be known that you are God. Boom! And the fire came down, and the whole thing was just consumed. All the water was just lapped up. The whole thing was just absolutely consumed in that, in that moment. Now, there's many things I love about this story, not the least of which is the character of Elijah here in this moment to stand alone. That it was him versus 400 prophets of Baal. That even when the odds were very much against him numerically, he knew who his God was. He knew where the truth lay. And so that's where he chose to stand. It is the weak moments in our lives. When we, perhaps when we're younger, when we, we don't go to a party or a gathering at somebody's house until we find out who else is going to be there. We want to make sure the cool people are going to be there. Or it is the weak moments in us when at work we're in a boardroom and something needs to be said. And we choose not to say it because we don't want to stand out. We, we don't want to stick our neck out. It's the weak moments for us when we continue down destructive paths, whether it's financially or, or sexually or some of the decisions that we're making, we continue down destructive paths knowing that they're destructive because that's what everyone else is doing. And it is the person of character who says, I'm going to make the right decision here, regardless of the circumstances. Even if I'm the only one, I will stand alone. I'm going to make the right decision here. That's a, person, that's a person of character, and I think Elijah models that beautifully. Well, after this altar basically just explodes in fire, a chaos breaks out, and the people are saying, well, obviously yours is the God, and people are running around. And uh, Elijah, who is the persecuted one, remember he is the kind of the one final prophet that Ahab has been trying to get a hold of, to try to kill, to try to get rid of him. And he... Uh, comes up to Ahab, who was just humiliated by the whole experience, and says, it's going to rain. You're going to want to get out of here. Get in your chariot and go on and get out of here. Go to a place called Jezreel. So now Elijah's calling the shots, saying to the king, get out of here. Get in your chariot and go. The last part of that chapter, verse 45, is where we find this. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, Ahab, uh, came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. So Ahab, humiliated, gets in his chariot, and he's making, it's about a 16-mile trip from where they were to Jezreel. And he's, he's making the trip, and he is just humiliated by the fact that this persecuted man just absolutely won. And, uh, and he's probably got to be thinking, because Jezreel is a uh, Jezebel, his wife, is not a part of the story, so he's probably going to be thinking, what am I, how am I going to tell Jezebel? How am I going to do, 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 You know, this thing was in the back of his mind. How am I going to do all this? And while this is happening, read the next verse. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab 
all the way to Jezreel. So Ahab is in his chariot, and he looks out his window, and Elijah is running faster than the horses are taking the chariot, <laughs> waving to Ahab in the thing. I mean, he's just, ee, 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 just rubbing his dirt in it, and, 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 and Ahab's just going, just going, what is happening here? And Elijah is having the time of his life, the day of his life. He is, Susan Loken, uh, running alongside the chariot 16 miles and beating him there. The time of his life, the peak, the height of his experience. What an amazing day chapter 18 is. And then in the next chapter, which starts right away, in the next verse, something amazing happens. Chapter 19, now Ahab and Jezebel, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so, so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. What? What? I mean, it's very clear that this happened right after this. What? I mean, if, you had, if he had experienced that kind of power and that kind of strength, wouldn't you assume that that would have carried over for him for at least some period of time? Those are days, experiences, miracles, supernatural things that we would love to be a part of, yet alone being the leader of the one who is standing alone and, and, and standing victorious at the end of that day. That we would think if we had a day like that, that would soar into the rest of our lives. And we would have this momentum that would carry us for the rest of our lives. Many of us would expect that. That's probably not what would happen. That's not what happened with Elijah. Now some say that chapters 18 and 19 really shouldn't be butted up together. They're really not, they're maybe they're in opposite order or that circumstances happen between chapters 18 and 19. I really don't think so. I think it's very clear. It says, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. This happened right after the experience with the two altars. There's a reason these things are back to back. No one stays on the mountaintop forever. Nobody. No, not even Elijah. Nobody. And that we are not to... That today is not completely shaped by yesterday. That whatever happens even yesterday, today is an independent day. I mean, maybe yesterday for you was magnificent. Maybe yesterday was terrific, one of the best days of your life. Sometimes the greatest crashes in life happen right after the greatest experiences of life. That life is not about resting on our previous successes. Well, one day this happened, and so, boom, that's going to flow into the rest of our lives. That's not the way life works. Maybe yesterday was terrible. Maybe yesterday was one of the worst days of your life, and you can so relate to Elijah saying, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. 
I'm checking out. Just this Monday, uh, I woke up, and, uh, and I didn't want to get out of bed. And um, uh, uh, it, it, I know there's the tired thing. There's the fatigue. There's a natural fatigue thing that enters in. But th- this isn't what was going on for me. I wasn't just tired. I, I didn't want to do life. I didn't want to do life anymore. <laughs> I just didn't want to get out of bed. And uh, my wife uh, graciously got up and took care of the kids and, and uh, got them set off. And, uh, uh, then she came into bed and just was rubbing my back. And, and, and I said, thanks for being gentle with me this morning. And she said, well, I'm, I'm, actually, kind of, uh, I'm actually kind of relieved a little bit here today. Because, Alan, you, you walk around like Tigger all the time. <laughs> and... Uh, and so uh, it's good to see you kind of uh, down like this every once in a while. And first I said, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then, then my thought was, uh, uh, so you're, you're thankful that I'm depressed uh, this morning, honey. And then I got more depressed when I thought about that. But no, just kidding. I, I, was, uh, I was just laying there and I was thinking, uh, what's wrong with me? Well, I, I, I just couldn't explain it, and, um, and I just didn't want to get out of bed. I just didn't want to get started with my day. I didn't want, I didn't want to move on, and, uh, uh, and I felt guilty about it. I felt guilty about it because who am I to complain? I have a great life. I have an outstandingly wonderful life. I've got a, I've got a great job uh, working at a fantastic church. I've got a great family, great kids, pretty good dog. Uh, I am... I'm still uh, almost 40 and still ruggedly handsome. Uh, who am I, who am I to, to complain about this here? Um, and so I really, did, I really didn't know. What, I hadn't felt like that, that kind of heaviness. I hadn't felt like that in a long time. And uh, so I just uh, was processing. And I processed for a day or so uh, even after that and trying to think um, that, that, uh, maybe I'm in need of, of a new venture, of a new goal. And uh, uh, for the five years that I've been here, it has been this, this journey of, of building a team and building a staff. And, and, uh, and now, they're, now we're, we're just an outstanding team here, an outstanding staff here. And so that's no longer the, the driver to get me up at, in the morning and kind of keep this thing going. It's just a great team. To, uh, this Feed My Starving Children was somebody else's idea, and boom, things are just happening. And it's like, okay, well, wh- what's my place here now? Because it's a great team, it's a great staff, and and so I kind of processing through that, and then I was actually thinking about the marathon, the half marathon that I just ran, and I heard this thing about a marathon depression, a post marathon depression, where I went through five months of training for this thing, and that's I would get up every morning, and that's what I would do, and and then the marathon's done. It didn't kick in right after the marathon, but this is about a month and a half later. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. All I know is that I didn't want to get up out of bed that morning, and even though my day before was wonderful. This was Monday morning, and, and Sunday was a great Sunday. Last Sunday, 29 people were baptized. It's when we made the Feed My Starving Children announcement, and you guys pounced on it, and it was just a glorious chapter 18 experience for me. And regardless, despite that, I, I had a hard time on Monday morning. What are we supposed to do when that happens? The second half of verse 5 is pretty interesting. Let me uh, 
Jump in here, chapter 19, verse 5. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. An angel of the Lord uh, brings warm bread and water for Elijah here in that moment. The Lord, once again, provides. That We see this in the Exodus story when the Israelites are wandering in the desert for 40 years, and they're provided with manna every morning. Every morning. This morning you get up, you eat what I've provided for you. Get up and eat. And we saw this earlier in the story with the widow who was saying, I can't help you because I, 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 I'm starving to death. Once again, the Lord provides. So whatever you are going through, whatever you've brought into this room, whatever, however recent it was for you that you didn't want to get up in the morning, whatever you are experiencing, at the very least, you can start that day by getting up and having something to eat. Just get up and eat. If, if physically that's a problem for you and you don't, you don't have food, we have food. We have food. We have boxes of food. You can come get food. We will provide food for you. We can't pay your mortgage, but we can give you food so that you can at least have the basics. Get up and eat. You don't need to uh, stay in bed until you have it all figured out, until all the debts are canceled, until all the wrongs have been made right. You don't need to make it that complicated in your head. You don't need to think that far down the road. You just need to get up and eat. Get up and start the day. Get up and start the day. Because you don't know what God wants to do through you that day. You don't know what God is going to provide for you that day. And maybe that's another hard day. And the next day, you're having a hard time, then get up and eat and get the day started. Because our God is faithful. You also don't have to lay in bed and, 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 and earn the grace that God has because you've thought about all that you've done or whatever. You don't have to earn that grace. Writer of Hebrews in the New Testament, he says that, we are made holy because of the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross. We are made holy. We are a new creation. We don't have to prove to God, to ourselves, to our others that we are holy. When you wake up in the morning, if you have given your life to Christ, you are a follower of Christ, when you wake up, regardless of how you feel, you are made holy. So get up and eat. So what are we supposed to do when life sucks? When we don't even want to get up in the morning? Maybe we can just at least cling to the basics that Elijah had to cling to. In his, in his day after following this amazing experience in chapter 18. And maybe we can hear as we're laying down, hear the voice of God saying to us, get up and eat. This is not an insensitive command from the commander-in-chief, this, this is a loving nudge from our Father in heaven. Get up. Get up and eat today. What we're going to do 
this morning as we wrap up, as we finish, is we're going to literally do that. We are literally going to get up and eat as we participate in communion together. That if you are going through a difficult time, you are feeling the weight of someone else's difficult time, and, and it's, just, it's just some sort of heaviness that's going on with you, and you are a follower of Christ, then you can participate in communion with us with this in mind, that you would come and allow your Father in heaven to remind you that he is the one who provides. He will provide physically for us. That's why we're motivated to help those around the world who don't have anything to eat. Somebody's got to feed them. And our God will provide physically. Our God will provide emotionally. And our God will provide spiritually for us. And so what we're going to do as we sing this, uh, this final song, in fact, I asked if you would stand where you are. Just get up. Get up. And then I invite you to uh, come and, uh, and, and take the elements and just hold them and we'll take them together. We will eat together. Would you bow your heads with me? Fathers, we enter into this celebration of the Lord's Supper. God, we, we, uh, some of us, I believe, in this room just need to, to, to sift this whole thing down to the basics right here today. Maybe so much knowledge about, about wisdom and about theology, it, it's all there. But right now, what many of us here in this room today need is the basics. And that you call us and invite us, even in the hardest places of life, to get up and eat, start the day. We invite you to come and provide, provide for us as you promised you would. In Jesus' name.